Um, Today's reading is taken from the book of Romans in chapter 15, starting at verse 14. That's Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written... Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task, and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy, by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, that you address us in your word. And we pray, Father, as we meditate on that word now, that you would help us to understand what you're saying to each and every one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've said for many weeks now, St. Mary's is about to enter a new chapter. Uh, Of course, there's going to be a new rector, but the less said about that, the better. Uh, But more than that, I think, as a world, it feels like we're entering a new chapter, as we hope the pandemic is on its way out. And we're asking questions about what the world is going to look like 
post-pandemic. And it's often times like that, times of shift where things haven't been done perhaps the way we used to, that we start asking ourselves the question, what are we doing? What are we about? You may know in your own life that that question's popped up. It's popped up for a lot of people with the pandemic. What are my priorities? What are my big ambitions? Am I spending the time on the things I want to be spending the time on? And of course, it comes up as a church question, doesn't it? Uh, During an interregnum, we have a, a kind of consultation process where we ask people, what are we about? What are we doing? And I wonder how you personally would answer that question when it comes to the church. What is it the church should be doing? I guess there are a number of different answers, aren't there? Uh, Some of us may say, well, the church is about love, because God's about love, and so we should be loving one another. Some of us might say that actually it's important that we're distinctive from the culture. Others may say, actually, the church is about learning from Scripture and about God. And all of those things are absolutely right. All of those things pop up in Romans. Uh, We've seen them over the last a uh, couple of years as we've looked at this book. But here in this passage, I think we see what is ultimately primary for the church. Not that those things are uh, wrong to do, but they all come under the umbrella of what Paul sets out here. See, the second half of chapter 15 is, I think, the real climax of this letter. Uh, People often miss it, I think, because we forget sometimes that Romans is a letter, uh, a letter with a purpose to real people in real time and real space. Uh, uh, Romans contains some of the grandest theology we see in the whole of Scripture. But actually, I think if we didn't have this chapter, we could quite easily forget what to do with that theology. Uh, In my um, downtime, I try and... um, read kind of popular science books to kind of pretend that uh, I know what I'm talking about and I really don't. Uh, But uh, as as I read those books, um, I'm reading one on how to do habits at the moment. Uh, As I read those books, uh, 90% of the book is all the science, all the uh, random experiments that have been done, all the very interesting uh, insights uh, the author's got. But actually, it's that little 10%, that final chapter quite often, that is where the gold is found. Because in that chapter, having set out all the background, the author then says, this is what you're to do. This is what it's to look like. And there's something of that going on in Romans. Paul set out this grand theology with the idea that now, right at the end, we see what it should do to us as a church. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, We can ask the question, what are we to do? What is the church for? And I think Paul says three things, reaching the unreached. It's amazing how it always fits into three, isn't it? Uh, Reaching the unreached, uh, resourcing the unresourced, and realizing the unrealized. Now, one of the things I remember from my pastoral training at college is that if you're to understand someone or understand yourself, why they do certain things, why they act certain ways, you've got to dig into their motivation. You've got to understand what motivates someone. Uh, A good question people ask in interviews is, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Now, for me, it's screaming kids. But the question, I guess, tries to get 
uh, this idea of what drives you, what keeps you going each day, what's your ambition? And in this passage, Paul answers that question. Why is it he gets out of bed? Well, verse 20 gives us a very big clue. Verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. That's the thing that gets pulled out of bed in the morning. That's the one ambition, to preach the gospel where it has not been known. Uh, that's what he means uh, when he talks about building on someone else's foundation. His calling isn't to go somewhere where Christians already are present, where churches are already established. Now, Paul's not anti-church. He's not anti-doing that. But he is saying that his overriding desire are those who have yet to hear of the Lord Jesus. See, just like a gas expands to fill the vacuum, so Paul wants the gospel to fill the world. And you see that uh, in uh, his description of his ministry. Uh, He speaks about where he's been uh, in verse 19. So that from, he says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, here's a time for a map, uh, if you're a map type of person. I'm afraid uh, if you are watching in the overflow room or online, you can't see my laser printer. But um, if you look to the right, bottom right-hand side, you'll see that uh, we have Jerusalem down there. And Illyricum is right up here, that shaded area in the middle of the map uh, that's dark red, I think. Uh, And Paul says, uh, in a circle, he's proclaimed the gospel throughout all this region. Uh, uh, Well, sorry, in a sort of semicircle, he's proclaimed the gospel in all that region. But now you'll see his sights are set on Spain, uh, this bit here. And so Paul says he wants to make it his ambition not to go here where the gospel is already proclaimed, but to go further afield to Spain. Uh, We'll come back to that in a moment. But I first want to ask the question, why is Paul telling us this? I mean, why does this matter to the church in Rome? Why does this matter to you and me? I mean, surely this is just his personal mission trip. But actually, he wants us to see that this is the consequence of understanding the gospel, of understanding the news of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Turn back with me to chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, I think it may be on the screen uh, as well. But here Paul explains that he is eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. And uh, as we see in this letter that Paul hasn't yet reached Rome, and so what he does in chapters 1 to 15 is to preach that very gospel. It's like a, a preview of what he will speak about. He sets out chapter after chapter who the Lord Jesus is, and why he matters to each one of us. And Paul's point is that when you get that gospel, when you understand it, when you grasp it, well, the natural consequence is to take it to people who have yet to hear. Uh, Back in chapter 15, uh, have a look at verse 14. He says, I am convinced, um, I don't mean verse 14. I don't know what I mean there forget my notes. But um, (laughs) uh, yes, so he's he's taken the gospel out. And of course, why do you do that? Well, uh, yes, sorry, chapter 1, verse 16, rather. Um, 
can't read my handwriting here, chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. See, Paul wants this church to grasp the deep sense of the importance of the gospel. A lot of people ask, where's God at work today? We don't see him. Well, Paul says the answer's in the gospel. Uh, We talk about salvation, but perhaps it's difficult to see that salvation come true. But Paul says it's in the gospel. And we are deeply conscious, aren't we, of our world and the many problems it faces. And perhaps we cry to God for answers, and uh, and Paul's answer is, well, that answer is found in the gospel. And you can see, can't you, if you understand that about the news of Jesus, well, it'd be crazy not to take that word out to those yet to hear him, of him. Now, um, we're very thankful, aren't we, for the vaccine that is uh, currently being rolled out at breakneck speed. And um, one of the more encouraging things about the vaccine program is the way that the formula, um, I'm not sure that's the correct term, but the way of making it has been shared with different nations and different companies. And I guess that's so encouraging, isn't it? Because it'd be unthinkable, wouldn't it? for people to be suffering around the world and for someone to hold on to the answer to solving the vaccine. But Paul's point is very similar. If we understand the gospel, if we understand that the Lord Jesus is the way to life, it'd be unthinkable to hold that to ourselves as a church. And it's very interesting, isn't it? Because the Roman church is not bad It's not done the wrong thing. In fact, in verse 14, he says that actually he's very encouraged by the church. They're full of knowledge. They're competent to instruct one another. But even the best of churches need reminding, don't they, that actually our priority is those yet to be reached. Now, perhaps we feel our days a bit different. Um, There are Christians in Spain nowadays. Uh, So how does this apply to us? But I think we're increasingly, as a culture, becoming more similar to the early church. Actually, lots of people in our culture, I'm utterly convinced of this, have not turned their back on Christianity because they've investigated Jesus Christ and thought about him, but actually because they just don't know about him. And so people reject Christianity based on the caricature. Uh, of things. And actually, while there are many churches in our towns, there are many, many more people who have just not picked up a Bible for themselves as an adult. Remember a year or so ago, I was out with some friends and I just, uh, some non-Christian friends, and I just said to them, guys, I'm going to ask you a strange question. What do you understand by grace? And they looked at me blankly I thought to myself, I've explained this to you lots and lots of times, but they just didn't get it. And that was a real wake-up call for me. I thought, wow, there's not even the kind of basic terms there. Now, that's not to slam my friends, it's more to slam me. And uh, I read in a book, and I can't remember which book it is, perhaps someone could tell me afterwards, of how someone went in and did a lecture on the Christian faith. And they mentioned the person Moses. And as they did this lecture, they looked out on the faces of these students and none of them clocked who Moses was. And so the lecturer asked, does anyone know who Moses uh, was? And it was only one Muslim student that kind of had a faint idea. 
See, actually, our world is not too dissimilar to Paul's. See, we live in a culture where people just have not heard the gospel, where people know of Jesus, they've kind of heard some uh, vague sense of him, but they don't understand what he's come to do and why he matters to each one of us. And if we share the ambition of Paul, we should be moved at our friends, at our families, at our work colleagues. This should be our ambition alongside with him. Now, I've asked myself the question, is this my ambition? I've, you know, obviously uh, coming into a new job, I've got a list of a hundred things I'd like to do. And um, all of them, I hope, are good things to do. Uh, I'm not trying to do the bad, uh, what's bad. But are they the best thing is a question I've asked myself off the back of this passage. Because quite often the good can be the enemy of the best. Is this our priority as a church congregation? To reach the unreached. Now maybe we hear that and we feel a bit like, oh goodness, that doesn't sound very easy. I'm not an Apostle Paul. But actually the way the church joins in this mission is a bit more subtle then we all need to go out and become mini-Pauls. Because secondly, we see here that Paul wants this church to resource the unresourced. Uh, you know how you book a trip nowadays when we used to take trips and holidays and things? Uh, you, uh, you, you book the flights, and at the end, the website comes up and asks you to enter people's emails so you can share the trip. And the idea is that you share your flight number, and so your friend you're visiting knows when to pick you up from the airports. And Paul does something of that here. He shares his travel plans in verse 24. He says he plans to go to Spain, and he says in verse 24, I hope to visit you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, you'll see Paul's clearly going to Spain, uh, but he's not got a direct flight. He wants to stop off in Rome and have the church assist him. Now, of course, it's worth pointing out that Spain at this point is not kind of how we imagine Spain. Uh, He's not heading off for two weeks on a Costa del Sol. Uh, But he's going, isn't he? Because this was the kind of edge of the known world at that time. These were the people that he is utterly convinced have not heard the gospel. But more interestingly, it's this stopover in Rome. Uh, Why does he not take a direct flight Well, verse 24 tells us that he wants them to assist him in that mission. Now, the word assist there is a bit stronger in the original. It's this kind of idea of actually providing uh, the the very means uh, to do the mission. Uh, Often in the New Testament, it's spoken of uh, disciples who are about to go on uh, different missions, and the church are asked to assist them. Uh, We talk now, don't we, about assistance loans, the kind of idea that you're propped up to keep going. And here's the thing, Paul wants the church to assist him. He's not asking them all to become mini-Pauls, to share his calling, but he is asking them to collectively resource this mission. How are they to do that? Well, he speaks about their wallets in verse 26. He speaks about some churches in Macedonia and Achaia, who have made a contribution, and we'll come back to that. But he also, verse 30, urges them to join in his struggle by praying to God on his behalf. And although he doesn't mention it explicitly, it was likely to include people from that church to go out with Paul 
and assist him in that mission. See, we as a church um, collectively are engaged in this mission. We're not asked to become mini Pauls. We may feel we can't really speak like him. But actually, all of us, as part of the church, can assist this work. Often, um, people kind of have a bit of a dividing line between church and mission. Uh, people, um, will, you know, clergy will ask each other, is yours a kind of outward-looking church? Is it a mission church? Uh, because there's this kind of idea out there that you can be a church that's kind of just for the church and a church that's kind of out there reaching people. But actually, Paul doesn't kind of have a category like that. He's dead pro on the church, isn't he? He spends a whole letter building up the church. But actually, he shows that any church, therefore, should be missional because it's as we grasp the gospel that we want to take it out. See, we often talk about mission as something missionaries do. And I'm guilty of this, kind of, you delegate it in your mind to someone else to do. But actually, the church is the missionary. Okay, we've got people overseas. Uh, We've got people evangelizing. But actually, it's all of our role. We're all the mission. And so Paul's saying, look, it's not about us all giving up the day job. It's not about us grabbing a megaphone and going down the high street. But it is all about us collectively as a church supporting, assisting, spurring on the mission of the church. Now, if we're football fans, we know that we could do that very easily, don't we? We talk about supporting our football team. Uh, I don't know if you do this, but we speak about we collectively, even though we've never been on the pitch uh, or never got anywhere near it. But we support them in a different way, don't we? We support them with our money. We buy season tickets. We buy shirts. We buy uh, uh, pies and things like that at the the game. Uh, We support them with our time. We used to go along to the matches and uh, encourage them along. And in some ways, our emotional temperature follows the emotional temperature of the club. I'm enjoying myself at the moment watching all these Liverpool fans uh, losing. And uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. It divides the congregation straight away. Uh, but seeing their emotional temperature track, can we edit that out, uh, the, uh, the team's emotional temperature. And there is something of that here in Paul. Not everyone's going to go out to Spain, but everyone is invested in Paul. They support him. They provide for him. They pray for him. They give their best people for him. And it's really helpful, isn't it? Because some of us will sit here and we think to ourselves, well, I'm not really very confident at kind of speaking to my friends and colleagues. I'm not very confident at kind of being this kind of outward uh, person speaking the gospel. But there's other ways. Paul says you're to pray. All of us can attend a prayer meeting. All of us can get together with friends and to pray for this mission. Uh, Perhaps we think to ourselves, I haven't really got the resources financially. But actually, we may have the time. And we can give our time to uh, equipping uh, people for this mission. Or we may feel we haven't got the time, but we've got the resources. You you get the point collectively as a church. Actually, this is our lodestar. This is what we're about for Paul and for us. Uh, For me, I've been asking some questions uh, of my own self. Am I someone who kind of delegates out mission work? And we all get uh, nervous, don't we, speaking about the gospel in our culture. And so easy, I can, uh, so often I can think to myself, well, I'll give that to the people who are particularly gifted. 
or I'll just give some money so people go and do it over there. But actually, there's not that sense here, is there? Actually, we're all in it together. Now, maybe we do hear that, and there's probably a bit of me and maybe a bit of us that feels a bit like, okay, but that feels like an added pressure. Why does that matter so much? But the third thing we see here is actually in doing that, we're realizing the unrealized. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, I want us to see why this matters so much. Uh, This isn't just some hobby horse for Paul. It isn't some project he's working on at the moment. This is the very way that God is working in our world today. See, when I was looking at this, there was a bit that kind of didn't, didn't fit my kind of sermon outline. And uh, it comes up in verse 25. Have a look at this where he talks about some of his other plans. Verse 25. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. See, he's pointing out that the two regions he's just visited are, have been very generous. They've delved into their pockets uh, for the poor in Jerusalem. Now, we think at this time uh, there was a famine in Jerusalem, kind of fits with the dates, and so the poor there is speaking about those who wouldn't have food. And Paul is kind of acting like an ancient backs transfer. He's taking that contribution to Jerusalem. But the thing is, I, I thought to myself, why Paul? Why does he have to go? I mean, he's so clearly got this ambition, hasn't he, to take the gospel to Spain and take the gospel to where it's not being heard. Why would he bother going and taking some cash to the saints in Jerusalem? But as we look deeper, you see something more is going on here. Look at verse 27. He says, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. See, Paul's point there is this isn't some sort of early live aid uh, uh, fundraising exercise. It is an outworking of the gospel itself. In chapter 11, we see that the Gentiles have come in to uh, experience the promises of the Jewish nation. We, he, you remember, it, I mean, I'll say you remember, it was two years ago, I think, uh, but uh, he, he talks about the branches being grafted on, being joined in, and Jew and Gentile have both come to the same gospel. And so he talks about them owing it to them to share their material wealth. Now, he doesn't mean anything so crass as kind of they, they, they've got a bill to pay, but they owe it to them in the sense you might say, I owe it to my parents to look after them. They've given me 18 years worth of food and ironing and uh, patience. I owe it to them, you might say. And see, do you see the significance here, though? It is the very enemies of the Jewish nation that are giving their material wealth to these people. See, what were divided, what are people that were divided are now joined together in their wallets to support one another. See, you ask yourself the question, why Paul, though? And I guess we still might ask that question, but in verse 21, we realize that actually this is very significant because there Paul says, 
uh, he speaks of his job description. And he says in verse 21, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. See, Paul there is going back to Isaiah 700 years before, and he's saying, look, in Isaiah, that is my job description. Uh, It comes from that famous passage, Isaiah chapter 53, of the suffering servant uh, prefiguring Jesus. And it says that now Jesus has died, he's going to make these nations known. But actually, as you dig a bit further into Isaiah, you realize that actually the whole shape of Paul's ministry and the shape of the church's ministry is driven by what God has promised. Let me give you a little example of that uh, in Isaiah chapter 66, uh, right at the end of the book. It's on the screen in front of me. Uh, Verse 19, he says this, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations, to the Gentiles, to Tarshish, I've got to put my teeth in, to the Libyans, to the Lydonians, famous as archers, to Tubal, to Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. You can see how this fits. God has set his sign. Jesus has come. He's died. He's risen. He has given life to the world. He's brought salvation to anyone who turns to him. And now that sign has come. Well, Paul uh, is part of this movement to take that message out to the ends of the earth. But look at what happens next in verse 20. And they will bring all your people from all the nations, from all the Gentiles, to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. On horses, in chariots, and wagons, on mules, and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremony clean vessels. I know there's a lot going on there, but the picture's kind of a bit like uh, walking up to a stadium, and everyone comes from all over the place, and they stream up to this stadium. And in this passage, they're streaming into Jerusalem, but notice what they're streaming in with, their gifts, their offerings. You see the significance? As Paul goes about bringing this gift to Jerusalem. All the puzzle pieces are fitting with how God has promised things through history. See, as we engage in this mission, we don't do it just because we feel bad or uh, because it's something to do. But this is the very way God is working in history. Almost everything is done. Christ has come. He's died. He's risen. And now God is in the business of taking that message out to the ends of the earth. It's not a beat-up, it's a joy, it's not a burden, it's God's work. And we as a church, in our little way, are part of that big picture where God is working. It's amazing to think, isn't it, that kind of conversation with a work colleague at the water cooler or on the team's meeting could be part of God's work to take the gospel to those not to have heard it. As you're sitting in the garden, freezing, uh, and uh, your friend says, why do you go to church? Tell me what that's all about. And you give an answer through chattering teeth that actually that could be God's work, bringing that person to hear of the Lord Jesus. As you come to a church prayer meeting or a prayer triplet with friends, even though you've been at work all day and you feel exhausted and the last thing you want to do is come out, 
Well, actually, that is part of God's work, bringing people to hear of the Lord Jesus. At St. Mary's, we're obviously entering a new chapter. And as we enter that new chapter, a new uh, rector, but also, more importantly, a new culture, we, of course, will want to do lots of things, build up one another, love one another, live distinctively, learn uh, much more. And, of course, they are great things to do. But ultimately, our ambition is this, to take the gospel to those yet to have heard it, reach the unreached, resource the unresourced, and by doing so, realize what God has yet to realize. Let's pray. Thank you, our gracious Father, that you desire all peoples to hear of the Lord Jesus and to be saved. And we thank you, Father, for your work in doing that in our own lives. But we also pray that we would share something of Paul's vision here to take that message out to our world around us. Please help us, Father, where we need to do that, what we need to change, and uh, what we need to be encouraged with. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.